Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. And Christian, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a bittersweet day here on the Cinema Drip Podcast. We are wrapping up our Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie blend of the month with a, a, more fun, a more fun episode, unrelated to the two of them. But then it's going to be time for our summer break. We're taking a few weeks off, as we have done the past couple of years. How are you feeling, Christian? You're going to have some extra time away from me. Uh, you know, I'm here for you if you're going to miss me or if you'll be lonely. You know, you can reach out if you need. Just I'll be there. Well, Scott, I'm uh, looking forward on catching up on some 2022 movies. I'm also just so tired as I'm tra- as I finally I'm, I'm I'm having a change of employment. Let's put it that way. And so I am excited to see where this change of employment leads me to later on in life. You know, you know, Christian, I'm excited for you, too. I think you have some good stuff coming up. It'll be interesting to see where where life takes you, especially as you am I am I allowed to say what you're moving away from? We've we've mentioned it on the podcast before. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah <laughs> you, you know, we you're can. moving away from teaching. No no longer. So I'm curious to see where where life will lead. But alas, we're not here to hash out your life or your career and employment decisions. We're here to talk some dynamic duos. So, of course, this past month, we looked at the collaboration between Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie. McQuarrie, often a key writer on Cruise's movies over the last 10 to 15 years or so, but also stepping into the director's chair for the Mission Impossible movies. So we had some good times looking at those collaborations. And Christian, that led you to your idea for this month's bonus episode. So for those who, have, for whatever reason, missed out on our recent episodes, go ahead and give a quick rundown of what we'll be discussing today. So we picked three pairs. They're either writer-actor pairs or director-actor pairs or writer-director-actor pairs. And we're going to be discussing, uh, not in a ton of in-depth detail, but three significant movies where the duo has shined. There could be more, but there have to be at least three. And why we like about them, uh, and honestly, why we would look forward to another collaboration between the two. At the end, honestly, we're going to discuss as a duo which one of the six that we've discussed we would see we, we would be most excited for another one from, and, and we're gonna we're gonna give it our um our our cinema drip stamp of approval that if another one does come, we're we're there you know we're there, opening night, and we'll discuss it on the pod. There you go, folks. So if you do is coming your way, we'll see which one, who is the uh, the pair that edges out at the end as we decide on uh, maybe our preferred favorite there on these shared lists. But we are we have not discussed these lists beforehand to the point where Christian mentioned he was watching one last movie just for some homework last night. I asked him what he was watching, and he texted me back saying, "I guess you'll find out." So <laughs> I don't actually know who is even on your mind, Christian. We have not discussed these pairings at all. It'll be fun to see what you came up with. So first things first, Christian, it's your month. I'm going to have you lead the way for us. Who is your first dynamic duo? Okay, I have a question for you. So I have a, I have an obvious pick based on my interests. I have okay. a pick that I really, really like and you, I think, will love. And then okay. I have a pick that you're not going to see coming. Which one do you want me to go to first? 
Christian, let's let's uh, let's start safe here. Let's let's save that big surprise maybe for your middle selection here. So go ahead and say go through the first one. I I, I know you said there was one that you really like, one that you you like, but I might love, and the the surprise one. So go with that first option, the one that you're like the most excited about. Okay, it the thing is, this one might just be the winner. Okay, Tarantino and Samuel L. Jackson. I was wondering if you would if you'd pick that one, but I it was on my list for sure in terms of potential options there. Go ahead and speak on it. All right. So they have collaborated on more than three movies. The movies, um, honestly, Tarantino just as writer on True Romance. They have collaborated on Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2, where he played the piano. Inglorious Bastards, where he gave voiceover narration for part of the film. He was the villain in Django Unchained, and he was the main character in The Hateful Eight. Now, Tarantino says he only has one more movie in him that he's going to write and direct. If Samuel L. Jackson's not in it, I would be very shocked. It'd be a shame. These guys have been working together forever. Kind of fun, like in a funny way, Samuel L. wasn't around for Reservoir Dogs, and he wasn't in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but almost everything else in between, they've worked together. So, the, the... I only picked three movies that I think highlight my interests, and therefore those are the ones I'm going to speak to now. Uh, the first one is is so incredibly easy. It's Pulp Fiction. I mean, come on. When's the last time you saw Pulp Fiction, by the way, Scott? You know, I have only seen Pulp Fiction one time, and it was the first time I watched it, which was honestly, it, it was at some point in college. So it's been a few years at this point, but it's a movie that, like, you know, for <laughs> congratulations, college-age dude watching Pulp Fiction. I loved it. What a surprise. But it's one that I definitely love to watch again now that I am a little older, a little wiser, and even more familiar with Tarantino. would love to bring, you know, my, my current perspective to that movie. But I am definitely a fan. So Pulp Fiction, obviously, it tells the story. It tells three interwiving stories of pulp which means they're kind of crime stories they're kind of stories with interesting dialogue telling various different sorts of situations about mob bosses and samuel l jackson is playing jules winfield who is a um just a a a mobster individual who is realizing he doesn't want to go down that road necessarily and so the stories that he's not a saint and the stories involving him involve his, um, you know, witty interactions with, oh man, uh, John Travolta's character, Vincent Vega, I believe is his name. Yeah. Um, also, just kind of his interactions with a famous pair of thieves who are trying to rob a diner. And just how he tries to get situations cleaned up and ready so that he can move on to the rest of his life. He's out for himself, though, also has a bit of a heart wanting other people to, you know, not ruin themselves. Uh, that's that's my main one. And as you said, you enjoyed it. Now, my next pick is... I will say, if I can slight... butt in, like, notably, yeah. Pulp Fiction is also the movie, the only movie that Samuel L. got an Oscar nomination for. So, r- really, one of those just awesome things coming together. If it's this great movie that has this amazing reputation and also got him the recognition that he well deserved. And it's a shame that obviously he, he has not gotten too much recognition from the Academy outside of that, but he did get his honorary Oscar recently. So shout out to our guy, Samuel L. But anyways, continue on. Uh, now the next one, I'm actually going to pick kill bill volume two. 
And this is why, because he plays the piano in that movie. He is just a pianist there for the bride's wedding. Now, if you all have seen Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2, uh, or, I mean, if you have not seen it, it tells the story of a bride who's... Basically, everything was taken away from her. She falls into a coma. She wakes up, and she starts to hunt down the people who took everything away from her. That bride is played by Uma Thurman. Samuel L. Jackson, in a very, very small scene, plays the piano and basically talks with the bride. And the reason I'm choosing this scene is because it illustrates how he's able to steal a scene in a movie where he has no more than five minutes. Do you remember him? I So Kill Bill is actually the only Tarantino movie that I have not seen. Uh, there, there are others, others like I haven't seen True Romance, but he's not the director there. I haven't seen Four Rooms, but he only contributes partially to that movie. But Kill Bill is the only written and directed by Quentin Tarantino movie that I have not seen either part. So a great shame of mine. I have to get to it still, but can't can't say I remember him in that movie as I have not seen it, unfortunately. Last one. Very easy. I think at one point you told me it was your favorite Tarantino film, Django Unchained. There we go. So uh, this is the one where he is playing the on the villain very much so and ah man so Django Unchained the story of it for everyone who has not seen it is uh, we follow Jamie Foxx's character who is a slave gets set free and then accompanies uh, Christoph Waltz's character to find his wife and basically take her away rescue her from the slave owners who have her Uh, and in this uh, so Samuel Jackson is playing Stephen Warren, who is the 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 kind of like the house uh, the housemaster amongst the slaves who influences uh, Calvin J. Candy, the main antagonist, Leonardo DiCaprio's antagonist, to be wary of Jamie Foxx, of Django, and what they're up to. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is. A challenging character in that movie, of course, uh, it, somewhat of a controversial role, but he was a big defender of Tarantino, both as part of that movie and, you know, in part of their ongoing relationship when people have come at Tarantino for some of the more controversial aspects of his movies. Samuel L. Jackson is usually a, a voice in favor, so a very tricky part in that movie, and I think his excellent performance in it is part of that uh, again, the reasons why that's one of my favorite Tarantino movies still. He's so good. Because he has this thing of playing a slave and therefore someone victimized and yet still, you know, kind of being evil, like absolutely awful. And I think that him as an antagonist is something we don't always see. He's normally the protagonist, which, you know, it, he, he can do both. He can do it. Whenever he speaks, he has some of the best line readings in any movie he's in. He has an iconic voice. He knows well, he knows how to also move his face. He has some of the greatest facial expressions presented on screen. And I love how he just plays off of Tarantino's dialogue and plays off of Tarantino's direction. So this is all to say that I'm hoping that Tarantino Movie 10 has Samuel L. Jackson in it. I'm hoping it does as well, Christian. Absolutely cannot fault you for that selection, of course. As I said, it was on my short list. Definitely one that I would have considered. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in favor there. So, is it my turn to throw out a pairing here? Throw out a pairing. Here you go, Christian. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this one. But my first choice for a pairing is Francis McDormand and the Coen brothers. Or more specifically, okay. Joel Cohen, Who is not just a frequent artistic collaborator, but of course her husband. They 
have been married since the early 80s, I believe, because I'm pretty sure they got married before their first collaboration, which is the Tar- or the Cohen, <laughs> I almost said the Tarantino brothers, the Cohen brothers debut film Blood Simple. Um, but they have also worked on Raising Arizona, um, Miller's Crossing, where Frances McDormand makes a cameo, Barton Fink, Fargo, which won her her first Oscar, The Man Who Wasn't There, Burn After Reading, Hail Caesar, and most recently, The Tragedy of Macbeth. Obviously, I think Frances McDormand is someone that everyone is familiar with these days, and especially if you are into movies, you know the Coen brothers as well. And so their consistent collab- or their collaboration is so consistent in terms of quality. Uh, it's very infrequent, uh, at least in my opinion, that I dislike a Coen Brothers movie or don't get on the wavelength, at least, with a Coen Brothers movie. And Frances McDormand has been so good acting under, I guess, or with her husband, if you will, from the very beginning. Uh, Blood Simple is my first recommendation. It's the movie on this list that I've seen the most recently, and it's such a strong debut movie. It's uh, moving with forward with this darker tone. It's a neo-noir sort of-ish, crime-ish story where she gets embroiled with her husband, who owns a bar, and the man that she's cheating on her husband with. And there is money, of course, being exchanged, and the involvement of a... Uh, private investigator who is willing to uh, murder someone for the right price. Uh, you see all of these these characters coming together in this darker tale, and she is so good as one of the central figures at that movie, uh, both in terms of, I guess, playing up her her sort of her innocence, if you will. Uh, although she is, of course, having an affair with you know someone um, and cheating on her husband, which. Obviously a challenging choice, but uh, we also see the ways that maybe her husband hasn't been uh, been looking out for her, hasn't been totally for her, and, and yet he is able to complicate it uh, as he engages the, the other man <laughs> when they have conversations. He says, you know, be careful about this with her because it's caused us problems, and it causes the other man to second-guess his relationship with her. And uh, by the time the violence really kicks off and we do get to the end of the movie and she's trying to survive some of the other ne'er-do-wells who've gotten involved, um, you see that it's just a, a really fantastic performance in the middle of this really strong debut. So, um, Love her performance early on there. Uh, and then want to shout out, you're going to skip past Fargo because unfortunately I haven't seen it <laughs> as recently as some of these other movies, but I also want to throw out Burn After Reading because it's a, Great a movie, switch. Yes, honestly. it's a switch from Blood Simple. Obviously, this is over 20 years later, but the Coen brothers are capable not just of these dark crime thrillers, but also straight comedies. And Burn After Reading is uh, just an absolute farce. <laughs> it follows a... I have, again, I haven't seen this one the most recently, so feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, essentially a pair of gym employees, like Exercise Gym, uh, find memoirs from, from a recently unemployed CIA analyst, and they think that these are actually classified government documents, and so they try to profit off of this information, and of course the CIA is chasing after this information, and other you know, bad actors get involved. And she's just so funny in this movie, especially across from Brad Pitt, who is the other employee with her. These, I mean, these two are hysterical in this movie. That's my strongest memory of Burn After Reading is just how straight up funny it is with the two of them at the center. But again, Frances McDormand is incredibly 
multifaceted as an actress. She's capable of doing hard, serious drama, of being darkly, sardonically funny, but also just being goofy. And being able to accurately and enjoyably portray all of those different sides is a challenge. And her skill there, I think, is chalked up with uh, not just in her talent, but it's a perfect pair with the Coen brothers' sensibilities because their movies, you know, vacillate from really freaking funny to dark and serious. And they're they're able to not just make good movies under both sides of the spectrum, but also that play in the middle of that spectrum. And so Burn After Reading is one where if you're a Coen Brothers fan, but you haven't gotten to it yet, or if you're just looking for an entry point with them, it's definitely one to check out. It's incredibly uh, it's, funny, honestly. Yeah, yeah, incredibly funny. And Francis McDormand's really good in it. So is Brad Pitt. And lastly, uh, I did want to bring up um, The Tragedy of Macbeth, just because it is the most recent one. Of course, she is playing Lady Macbeth, so major, major part there. And I thought The Tragedy of Macbeth was pretty good. It's a very visually striking movie, and of course now... Joel Cohen stepping out on his own, Ethan Cohen not working on this one. So not quite a Cohen Brothers movie, but she and Denzel Washington are amazing at the center of this movie as uh, Lady Macbeth and Macbeth respectively. And if you've seen Macbeth before, you've seen a production of it or watched a different filmed version, it might not seem the most fresh in all the choices that it makes, but the the look of the movie is fantastic. Uh, they shot it all on sound stages, but it looks like these the way that they shoot uh, the castle is incredible with these long, dark shadows and this austere design, these high walls. It feels like a fantasy world. And there's some other touches that help it stand out as well. But I think just looking at how her debut film performance and the Coen Brothers debut in Blood Simple has led all the way up to almost 40 years later, not just this personal relationship with Joel and Francis, but also this long-lasting successful professional partnership and has, you know, now comes to the tragedy of Macbeth where we see her playing the young woman cheating on her older husband with a younger man all the way into playing Lady Macbeth. So an excellent collaboration there. Christian, I know you have mixed feelings on some Coen Brothers movies where I'm a big fan, but any thoughts on this partnership? So I've never seen Blood Simple. I do really, really enjoy and think Burn After Reading is incredibly funny. Uh, Tragedy of Macbeth, I think, is fine. But I did enjoy her performance in it and her ability to line read in that. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't mind it. And of course, I think as long as Joel Cohen is making movies, there's a high chance that Francis McDormand appears in it. So who knows if we've seen the last of them. But now, Christian, I go back to you. Let's let's go to your more unconventional choice because I'm curious what this will be because I I have one that I'm gonna throw out for you in this in this section as well. So I'm just curious to see what yours is. But take it away. It is Diane Keaton and Nancy Myers. Diane Keaton and Nancy Myers, Christian. <laughs> I was not expecting this. <laughs> so uh, I I I wanted this is whenever I do a list. I never care about, um, it, it's always like a, what is cool for me, but I was thinking about pairings and I go, there are just a lot of pairings that I'm not necessarily attuned to. Now, Diane Keaton has made four movies with Nancy Myers. Nancy Myers has a movie that will come out on Netflix. I don't know, next year or the year after. And I thought, you know, why not? Why not? Why not go for it? Let's, let's see. So I checked it out. If I had hated these movies, I would not have chosen it. But I think that they're just a type of movie that we don't get to see a lot of. And so the first movie I chose was Baby Boom from 1987. Yo, this movie's wild. So (laughs) Diane Keaton is a lawyer whose only living relative dies. Her only really living relative has a baby. 
and she gets stuck with the baby. That's like in, in, in the will is for her to get the baby. And now she's like a career woman who says she doesn't need a baby and then ends up loving the baby. And so she, of course, she, and so it's like how she's taking it to the law firm or she has a, a specific meeting and they ask if she wants to check out a coat or if she needs to check in a coat and she says yes and gives them the baby and then goes into the meeting. It, it's, it's quite wild. She, there's one point where she drives to Vermont and like <laughs> just buys a house starts making applesauce for babies it's wonderful and there's there's an air of poise and sophistication to diane keaton who is an actress i don't know much about and i know that we both saw her in the godfather earlier this year there is so much humanity in her like you know there are sometimes actors who feel like they're superstars they're out of the stratosphere diane keaton just seems like a real person uh I also chose, if we're going chronologically, I chose Father of the Bride, 1991. How many years has it been since you've seen Father of the Bride, Scott? I haven't seen Father of the Bride. So Really? <laughs> 26 and a half, yeah. Another, another like, classic fan favorite movie that just my parents, you know, that I don't know if that's just a movie that they didn't like or they didn't see, but they just, you know, never we never watched it growing up. So I, I just haven't gotten around to it yet wonderful wonderful movie where steve martin plays the father of a woman who is you know getting married and diane keaton is there it's like the voice of reason now this is definitely diane keaton's supporting role but just in how you can see that the entire uh, the entire acting body is like taking risks and yet she is very steady and so she's just so reliable in this movie again also someone you can definitely see as defusing a situation and not someone who starts something up uh and lastly i chose 2003 something's gotta give which is nancy myers directed the previous two were directed by her husband charles shire where she served as either the writer or the co-writer something's gotta give is just a kind of a i guess it's a romantic comedy though it might just be a straight-up romance where she's in a love triangle where uh, Jack Nicholson and Keanu Reeves are both vying for her attention. And let me just say, this is the best I've ever seen Jack Nicholson. This is the best Keanu I've ever seen, man. The best you've seen in, from Jack Nicholson is is in Something's Gotta Give. I, I have no complaints about that movie. It's one I still haven't seen, but I've like, <laughs> he's Jack Nicholson. He's got iconic performance after iconic performance, and this one's your favorite. This I, one is I wouldn't have expected it. Well, this is this is also, I think, the the best Keanu Reeves has ever been. And now, I this is one where, I don't, I it, you know, she's I think she's in her fifties in this movie, because she's I want to say she's in her late seventies right now. And I can tell, I I could see reasonably a Keanu Reeves character falling in love with her, the same way I could see a Jack Nicholson falling in love with her. So it's just she's so wonderful and pleasant and is like a burst of joy and at times manic energy that's incredibly uh adorable to see because it shows you know that she's a real person and the way that she just sits comfortably in these romantic situations that nancy myers is writing for her or how she's so how she's someone who cares about her career but also she's someone who's so logical and sensical in all of these movies, she's portrayed very, very well. It, it, it's a wonderful duo that, that um, you know, Diane Keaton is still acting. Uh, Nancy Myers is still writing and directing stuff. This is, this is one I would recommend. 
There you go. It's a pair that I wish I was more familiar with. I have not seen too many Nancy Myers movies, and I feel like most listeners of our show might know her from most notably from The Parent Trap with Lindsay Lohan in, in 98 there, or with Father of the Bride. But I am a humongous fan of her movie The Intern, which I know doesn't have the best critical <laughs> reception there, but I think it's just so, so good. And so Nancy Myers is someone that I wanted, I, I've wanted to catch up uh, more with because especially she just like rom-com royalty and, uh, and her collaborations with Diane Keaton are definitely something that I'd like to be more familiar with. Diane Keaton, another actor who obviously she's, she's been acting forever. So tons of great performances to, uh, to yet, yet to watch there and always good to fi- to have more discovery and be turned on to pairings like this that I wouldn't have expected coming from you. So, <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Christian, but uh, are you ready for my unconventional pairing? I'm ready for your unconventional pairing. All right, Christian. My unconventional pairing is Guillermo del Toro and Doug Jones. Uh, they've made Doug Jones? You're about to find out, Christian. They have made six movies together. And if you're a GDT fan or, uh, you know, I guess I should say, if you're a Guillermo del Toro fan, you probably don't even know Doug Jones' real face. And that is because he is a master of costumed, makeup, motion captured Is he the acting. fish? He is, yes. He is the creature from The Shape of Water. Uh, but they have made six movies together, those being Mimic, Hellboy, as well as the sequel Hellboy The Golden Army. Pan's Labyrinth in between those two, as well as Crimson Peak and The Shape of Water more recently. And although I unfortunately have not seen Mimic or Crimson Peak, Doug Jones is absolutely one of the best parts of the other movies uh, that I have seen from this pairing. I have a, a very special place in my heart for actors who are willing to not just disappear into a role, but also disappear behind makeup, costume motion capture and give a genuine credible performance and obviously del toro loves big fantasies horror inflected adventures these kinds of monster characters and he loves i mean the whole thesis of the shape of water or i guess i should say the genesis of the idea was what if the creature from the black lagoon got the girl <laughs> and it won him a freaking best director oscar and best picture oscar so Doug Jones, in many ways, has been one of his muses over his career as he has continually allowed himself to be completely covered up to become one of these fantastical creatures. And just knowing that he is in Mimic and in Crimson Peak makes me more excited to get to those movies eventually. Um, In the Hellboy movies, he plays Abe Sapien who is a, an amphibious character, an associate of Hellboy's, certainly a supporting character, but uh, he has some special abilities, of course, that the the Bureau or whatever they are, the governmental department, uh, uses to hunt down monsters. And he provides that, uh, Just a, he's a very different character from Hellboy, who, of course, is gruff and cracks wise and he's the kind of hero who will you know punch first and ask questions later and abe is is much more relaxed intelligent well-spoken <laughs> and a good counterpoint to uh, to hellboy himself and doug jones again is given the performance he's you know he's speaking the lines he's being the fish man and, <laughs> and yet you might not know even know his face if you saw it um of course, in Pan's Labyrinth, he does play. I oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name of the character. Is it the dude who had the who had the eyes for hands? 
Yes, he is the Pale Man. So he's most famously, perhaps, the Pale Man who, if, even if you haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth, you know this creepy, creepy character who's basically white from head to toe. His eyes are in his hands, and there's that famous image from the movie. I feel like I've seen it in clips at the Oscars and things like that, where he pulls his hands up over his eyes and opens them up, and you see, or where, where his eyes should be, and you see the eyes peeking out from the hands. And the Pale Man is so terrifying as a character, perfectly personifies these like twisted <laughs> like child storybook tales that del toro is riffing on in pan's labyrinth but doug jones also plays the fawn in that movie who is sort of the uh, main character's spiritual not spiritual guide but like guide through this mystical fantastical world so again pulling double duty playing these two different characters who are Again, just absolutely iconic in that they are these mythic creatures we remember from Pan's Labyrinth outside of all of the other good things that Del Toro and, and folks are doing in that movie. Another very interesting, very fun movie to watch if you haven't gotten around to it. And of course, he's the creature in the shape of water, which is like, I'm the only person who's still on Shape of Water Island. I still love that movie. <laughs> and I'll always stand up for it. And I, I mean, he's this time gets to be the co-lead of the movie and uh, again, completely knocks it out of the park, basically without being able to speak, uh, builds this beautiful, weird, crazy romance with Sally Hawkins uh, character in the middle of that movie. So I'm a huge fan of performers like Doug Jones. I think Andy Serkis also comes to mind. He, of course, has some collaborations of his own with Peter Jackson in the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies and with Matt Reeves in the Planet of the Apes movies. Uh, as well as the Batman from earlier this year, although of course just his his plain old face and body, no ape, <laughs> no apes to be found in those movies. But special place in my heart for performers like Doug Jones and Andy Serkis, who are willing to create these incredible characters and performances without even showing their faces. So my second pair was GDT, Guillermo del Toro, and Doug Jones. A lot of these movies are available for streaming, so if you haven't checked them out, you totally should. I like the weirdness because <laughs> I'm I'm not huge on del Toro. I respect him. I love Doug Jones in Pan's Labyrinth, and I love him. I love what he did in Shape of Water. I mean, I have some qualms with the chemistry between him and Sally Hawkins in Shape of Water, but I think how he himself just was portrayed was wonderful. Yeah, and I mean, I myself, again, I like, I want to like Del Toro more than I actually do. <laughs> I think a lot of his movies, uh, I really love The Shape of Water, but for a lot of his movies, I, I like them, but that's about it. And some have just completely let me down. But I, I just really respect and love Del Toro as a person, as like a figure in the world of cinema. Uh, and his, his his weird fixations and you know his things that he loved, uh, I feel like Doug Jones is one of the perfect avatars for that. Um, and Doug Jones, is, he's been in all kinds of movies, so, you know, check out his IMDb or his letterbox if you want, like, you'll, you'll recognize him. He's been doing work like this forever. Okay, are you ready for my last pairing? Oh, Christian, I'm ready. Lay it on me. Bong Joon-ho and Son Kang-ho. Yeah. Now, the, uh, everyone knows Bong Joon-ho is a director and co-writer of Parasite, Song Kang-ho was the father in that movie. The three movies that I chose are not just Parasite, but they are also The Host and Snowpiercer. Now, have you seen... You've seen Snowpiercer because we discussed it for the show. Have you seen yes, The Host? Sir. Yes, I have. Wow, great. <laughs> you've seen all three of the movies then. So... I've also seen Memories of Murder. He's in that one, too, and he's great. I, I, I had to choose between The Host and Memories of Murder to watch, and I chose The Host because it's a monster movie. That's fair. Yeah, so the host is a uh, it's it's a monster flick, 
where you have toxic pollutants that have been dumped into a river and it, it morphs a fish into a fish monster that starts to eat people several years later. And Song King Ho plays a Mr. Park, a Gandu Park, who is trying to, uh, he rallies his family together to go after the monster, kill it, and save his daughter after she's been kidnapped by it. Now, when we go, when we look at Snowpiercer, so his character in Snowpiercer is Namgung, who is a man recruited to help out the, the, the takeover of the train because he is someone who developed the, um, what, the, the security for it. And he, this is an English language movie where uh, Song Kang-ho as Namgung is still only speaking in Korean, which is a very interesting dynamic. And he also has a daughter who says that he wants to be freed in order for them to get his help. And I'm mentioning that specifically because there, there's a through line. When you look at Parasite, as he is the father in that movie, he is the Mr. Kim in that movie. He uh, is the one, you know, conning the uh, Mr. The, I mean, the Park family in order to get a better life for his own. In each and every single one, what Bong Joon-ho is writing it is a character who is a father figure, a family man who is not the most ideal father, but that's not because he can't be. That's because situation has dealt him an awful hand. And therefore, he is the best father of what he can do with those situations. He will stop at nothing to kill this monster in order to get his daughter back in the host. He wants to see the outside because his daughter cannot see the outside on that train in Snowpiercer. And he will easily con this family because his own has to live in poverty right now. And he doesn't like that. That is, that's just a... Yeah, you know, Song Kang-ho is his father figure in these movies. He is uh, a f an absolutely fantastic actor, and I I'm glad that uh, I myself have been able to become more familiar with his work through Bong Joon-ho, because I these are all movies that I've seen, of course, and I need to get better at watching international films, as we all do, but again, these, uh, I mean, Bong Joon-ho's films give you an insight into just really fun genre movies with great ideas uh, as well as more serious fare like even parasite is you know it's it's a thriller but and there's a ton of ideas in it too but it's just an excellent drama and, and song kang ho's performance is so key to that movie working uh, i will say too he's he's really good in memories of murder as well which a lot of people consider to be actually um, bong joon ho's best movie uh, it's either that or parasite i definitely prefer parasite still but he is very very good in it uh, it's about He's a, a cop on the hunt for, uh, I don't know if it's the first serial killer in like modern day South Korea, but a famous serial killer who I don't believe was ever caught. Uh, they made a movie about the the search for him and um, Song Kang-ho plays uh, the local detective who partners up with a detective from Seoul who comes in to help. And of course their objectives clash and uh, Song's character is much more laid back and goes with his gut, follows his instinct, and, uh, you you know, it's a great performance there as he his methods are tested in this horrific hunt for the killer. So, yeah, he is he's such a good actor, and their collaborations are 
always so fun to watch as well as just being profitable <laughs> for for the for the movies all right christian for my uh for my final choice here i i was very i was really torn about what to do i i found a wikipedia page a great page it's the list list of film director and actor collaborations <laughs> which has its limits of course it, it doesn't feature every collaboration that a notable director might have for example for george lucas as a director it lists hayden christensen and they've made two movies together, but it doesn't list Ewan McGregor, who was in all three Star Wars prequels. It's got its gaps like that. And of course, a lot of these directors frequently cast their family members, some of whom aren't professional actors, or they cast them as cameos and things like that, and they make this list. So it's a, it's a bit cluttered up, but there's one particular director who's worked with two different actors where the films that they made aren't even listed on the page because it actually just links out to a completely separate Wikipedia page devoted to the collaboration. I think I Christian. know the director and I think I know <laughs> who the two actors are. You sure do. Yeah. You sure do. And that director, of course, is Martin Scorsese. And those actors are Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio. And I'm going to cheat a little bit and one director, two actors here. And I, I have a little bit of a reason for why. But of course, Scorsese is one of the foremost American directors, uh, critically beloved and you know also beloved to people. He's made all kinds of iconic movies. And De Niro and his careers are very in line where they came up together. Scorsese helped De Niro uh, to make a star. Of course, De Niro helped make Scorsese a household name as well with their collaborations. And Leonardo DiCaprio enters at a very different phase in Scorsese's career, where Scorsese by this point is very much a known uh known commodity he's his movies have been nominated for and won oscars have made tons of money and dicaprio comes into his life in the early 2000s and helps uh, scorsese to perhaps the most financially successful phase of his career as well as finally seeing him through to winning that dang oscar for best director as well as best picture which a lot of people have argued and argued well for that he deserved earlier on in his career but that's neither here nor there um it was it was just so hard to choose between these two so the, the quick rundown for scorsese and de niro mean streets taxi driver new york new york raging bull the king of comedy goodfellas cape fear casino and then the irishman most recently and with DiCaprio, we have Gangs of New York, The Aviator, The Departed, Shutter Island, The Wolf of Wall Street, and both of them are going to be appearing in Killers of the Flower Moon. So as I was thinking about director pairs that I was excited about, I, you know, it's hard to choose between these two if I had to pick one for Scorsese, but I'm ultimately really excited for Killers of the Flower Moon and really excited to see the pair of them in that movie because they're playing, I believe, either father and son or uncle and nephew, something like that. So I'm excited to see Scorsese direct the both of them and have them act across from one another. Um, just, you know, I haven't seen all of the movies that featured these collaborations. And so I'll just pick one that I, uh, that I watched over the past weekend in doing some research for these. But watched Taxi Driver for the first time. Uh, De Niro and Scorsese in the mid-70s there, 19, um, 1976 was when that movie came out, did get De Niro or Scorsese uh, Best Picture nomination and De Niro an Oscar nomination as well, although he had already won for his role in The Godfather Part Two, so he, of course, was well known to that point, but Taxi Driver is it's an iconic movie, of course. I'm sure many of our listeners have seen it. I actually watched it for the first time, and its its inspirations are, uh, or the the movies that it's inspired, uh, are obviously well known. 
De Niro plays this disturbed uh, Vietnam veteran who's like a like an alien in a human's body trying to fit in and, and failing so miserably. And it's incredible just how prescient this movie is in many ways. Uh, not only inspiring like a real life political assassination, which uh, if you want to look into the case of John Hinckley, <laughs> go for it. Um, but also we see some of the ways that De Niro's character, Travis Bickle, this troubled man, also plays out in troubled men even today. We see the similarities. Uh, and so it's not just for its Impressions, but also the incredible performance at the middle, this fantastic time capsule of New York in the 70s, and the strong and confident tone uh, that Scorsese walks in. It's very, obviously, controversial at the time, a little bit less so now, but still a fantastic movie um, that I think it's, you know, some consider it one of the greatest movies ever made, especially if you're focusing in on USA. Definitely one to watch if you want to get, get a better sense of some film history. It's almost 50, of course. And for Scorsese and DiCaprio, I watched The Wolf of Wall Street for the first time this past weekend, which is a very, very different movie, of course, and a very controversial movie as well. Scorsese has never shied away from the controversy, controversy if he could help it. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street, of course, follows the times, trials, and tribulations, and debauchery of Jordan Belfort and his team of stockbrokers at Stratton Oakmont as they rip off clients and do an immense amount of drugs and have a lot of uh, inappropriate <laughs> interactions with with women along the way uh i mean it's it's amazing to watch scorsese uh pitching fastballs uh and this these you know far apart in his career uh wolf of wall street's an incredible movie for very different reasons but um both of these movies i i think are absolute must watches uh in terms of if you're a movie fan, you should be familiar with them you should check them out it's a shame that i just got to them recently and scorsese such an influential director, but one that I love just personally as well. And his collaborations with these two actors are so key. One throughout his career, one more recently uh, in terms of his, um, you know, finally getting some, a little more mainstream success, a little more mainstream shine. So couldn't choose between the two. Um, Christian, I know you have some controversial opinions about some of these movies where you're not going in with the, uh, the critical consensus, <laughs> so to speak. But well, I do um, not like Raging Bull at all yes at i'm one that all. i haven't seen so i can't even defend it i haven't seen it but i know you're not a fan i also don't but... understand why goodfellas is loved oh christian <laughs> you're do you want me to pull up your review on letterboxd which says basically exactly what i said well that's fair but i also watched it again recently and i, I bumped it up a half star from four out of five to 4.5 out of five so like my my opinions of Goodfellas have definitely grown in estimation, um, and ironically, like I'm I'm kind of glad you brought it up because Goodfellas and The Wolf of Wall Street are very similar to each other, telling similar stories, similar structures, just different types of you know one's a gangster, one's a <laughs> stockbroker, um, and we see the rise and the fall and how American life will always be tempting, or in American life will always be tempted towards these types of occupations that give us money and power. And there's always going to be people who will bend or break the rules to get what they want and get where they want to be. And Scorsese, I think is one of our, our best storytellers at talking about that idea and why it is morally bankrupt and yet why it's so tempting to people. Uh, I think those, and obviously De Niro in Goodfellas, he's incredible in that movie. So yeah, very related, but different uh, time periods, different phases of his career, etc. Let's choose. So, Christian, let's let's give a quick rundown again. Your three selections for director-actor pairings or writer pairings. 
Quentin Tarantino and Samuel L. Jackson, Nancy Myers and Diane Keaton, Bong Joon-ho and Song Kang-ho. And then mine were, of course, Frances McDormand and the Coen brothers, or more specifically, her husband, Joel Cohen, Doug Jones and Guillermo del Toro. And then cheating a little bit with Martin Scorsese and both Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio. Do you have one that you are, do you have one that you like the most? I mean, so it's, it's difficult, right? Because there's some that I want to get familiar with. I'd love to see some Diane Keaton and Nancy Myers movies because I haven't seen their collaborations yet. Uh, there's De Niro and Scorsese where I've seen maybe half of the movies they've made together and I want to see the rest. <laughs> and uh, there's folks where I'm more familiar where I've seen every collaboration that Song Kang-ho and Bong Joon-ho have made. And so it, it's tough for me because you're not, you know, you want to be a completist with some of these things. I wasn't able to be before talking about them. Um, but also, you know, Scorsese, he's, he's a bit older <laughs> and each new movie that he makes, it's one more in the tank. And although it could be his last, whether he chooses to retire or he, unfortunately, you know, he's getting older. Uh, and so I, I'm really excited about Killers of the Flower Moon, but in terms of people move, making movies going forward, you know, will, will Tarantino make movies past QT 10 and hopefully, and, and hopefully he and Samuel L. Jackson will continue to act until, uh, you know, one of them retires or passes on and Song Kang-ho and Bong Joon-ho are both, you know, they're not spring chickens, but they're a little bit younger than some of these guys. So I'm just, I'm a little bit torn. I, it's hard to choose. So okay. where, where are, are we, you? Are we choosing between if we only had one more or who, whose pairing would we be most excited for? Because if it's just who's pairing we're most excited for to see next, for me, it's Quentin Tarantino and Samuel L. Jackson. But if we're doing... As great, in, like, the next movie that comes out, the next you're going to be there. Yes. But if we're doing grade point average, I, I have flexibility. <laughs> yes. Uh, and your your GPA assessment of, say, Scorsese and De Niro might be off mine. <laughs> Common opinion. So that's fair. I, I think it would be... Um, you know, let's let's do both. Let's say of these particular pairings, which one are you most excited about for the next movie? Because for you, it sounds like it might be Tarantino and Samuel L. Jackson. Yes. What about you? I, I'm definitely torn because Bong Joon-ho and Song Kang-ho make magic whenever they make a movie. And whoever, whenever that next one comes, I'm sure it'll be fantastic. But I am both extremely excited for Killers of the Flower Moon, which we know is being made and will come out on Apple like <laughs> TV Plus or uh, in theaters as well, eventually, if not later this year, then next year. And I am excited for Quentin Tarantino's 10th and perhaps final movie, although that one's not announced. So I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with you just in terms of, you know, not knowing what it will be. I, uh, you know, I'm perhaps most excited about Tarantino's final movie, although we honestly don't even know what it is, when it will be, and if Samuel L. Jackson will be a part of it. <laughs> uh, I, I'm torn just because I'm really excited about Killers of the Flower Moon, but I think that just the mystery of that potential Tarantino and Jackson collaboration has me buzzing with excitement. In terms of interesting pairings of, of, of my three... Uh, I mean, I do think, I mean, I mean, yes, Samuel L. Jackson, Tarantino might have the strongest GPA. I will say I'm fascinated by Bong Joon-ho and um, by Song Kang-ho's uh, different genre matchings. Uh, of your pairings, I am fascinated by Del Toro and Doug Jones and what he'll get Doug Jones to contort into next. 
Christian, I am curious because I didn't really speak on DiCaprio and Scorsese and you haven't really mentioned it either because I know you have some controversial opinions when it comes to Scorsese's uh, De Niro films. But how do you feel about the the movies that Leo made with Scorsese? I mean, of the ones that you've seen, I'm sure I'm not sure if you've seen them all. I, I know I haven't. I've seen three. I've seen The Departed, Shutter Island and Wolf of Wall Street. I kind of love all three. I, I, I most love Shutter Island, but I really enjoy Wolf of Wall Street, and I really enjoy The Departed. Yeah, uh, the, the Departed, of course, the Best Picture winner there, and Leo is so good in it. That one's a fun one. I actually haven't seen Shutter Island. That's the one that I've missed from that pair. And then a couple like Gangs of New York and The Aviator. I have seen, but I saw them years and years and years ago, so I don't uh, remember too much about my feelings for them. But, uh, you know, it's, yeah, like, the, the movies that those two have made in particular are also so exceptional and you see like the ways that they break through just to mainstream popularity like shutter island that like that's a movie that's hugely popular and and beloved by people from our generation but a lot of people may not even know it's like a scorsese movie just because it's a little bit out of his normal purview so yeah i'm a fan of that pairing obviously and in terms of I guess I'll say just like you said, in terms of the three that you chose, I do want to get more familiar with Nancy Myers and, and Diane Keaton. I'm not familiar enough with either of them, both Keaton's acting and, and uh, Myers writing and directing, but uh, the promise of Song Kang-ho and Bong Joon-ho is really intriguing to me because I, I really enjoy the movies that they've made together thus far. I, um, and I haven't seen all of uh, Bong Joon-ho's movies, but I want to finish up with what he's already made and, and be more familiar because I'm sure when he makes a movie next, there's a chance that Song Kang-ho will be in it. And I'm, I'm excited about that, whatever it will be. Uh, in terms of the, one, of the ones that I chose, I do have a mixed uh, mixed feelings on some of del toro's movies but i tend to love his collaborations with doug jones or at least doug jones part in the movie (laughs) if i uh, don't love the movie overall uh but i'm really pumped about killers of the flower moon and i'm sure as long as joel cohen and francis mcdormand are are acting writing and directing that they're going to be working together until they keel over on a movie set together somewhere so uh i'm excited about what they'll do next as well now that we're now hopefully we've gotten shakespeare out of our system and we can go back to some original screenplays okay so who wins? Who wins? Yeah, who wins? Like which one of these pairings wins? <laughs> I thought we I thought we said we both agree that like Tarantino and Samuel L. Jackson, but I don't know. <laughs> okay, dope. Well, Tarantino I mean, are, like again, are we going are we going GPA or are we just going like our personal preferences or like well, I, next movie? Like I, I I thought that's what we just talked about. Why? Are we... Well, yeah, but so that's our winner. Because we kept talking after uh, after that, so I didn't know if you were, like, fleshing out your thoughts or not. Or just monologuing. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I do like to monologue. I was trying to flesh out my thoughts. I, I guess if the prompt, like we discussed at the beginning of the episode, is the one that, like, we're most excited to get our butt in a theater to see. Yeah, like, if that's what it is, maybe it would be... I, I guess we'd have to go with Tarantino's 10th and perhaps final movie. Um even though, again, I I mean, what are your feelings about Killers of the Flower Moon? Like, are are you I buzzing with excitement? Or? I I'm gonna see it, but I I'm, I'm not part. I'm not really looking forward to it. Okay, that's I'm not thinking it's gonna be bad. I just my interest in it is that other people are interested in it. It's not from myself. We'll have to see whenever it eventually comes out. Uh, but yeah, it sounds like we're mo- we have the most 
matched excitement for Tarantino and Samuel L. Jackson, even though that next film is a mystery, hopefully Samuel L. will be in it. And as Tarantino rides off into the sunset to write more, write more books or write about movies or just sit on an Island and watch movies until he dies. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully he gets to collaborate with our guy, Samuel L. Jackson one last time. So Christian, that is our, uh, that's our dynamic duos, our, our director and writer and actor pairings. Are there any just quick names that either you have not seen enough movies from, but you're intrigued by or honorable mentions that you want to throw out? I want to throw out Paul's uh, recommendation from last week, uh, which is Spielberg and Tom Hanks, which I know I have seen at least three movies of, and I've for the most part enjoyed the Tom Hanks Spielberg part of all three of them. So I, I that was that was a good choice. Yeah, shout out to our guy, our guy Paul Gonzalez. Definitely a good pairing, and obviously um, starting with Saving Private Ryan of all movies, <laughs> quite a first collaboration. But uh, they have continued to collaborate, and even more recently, making Bridge of Spies and The Post, where Hanks is playing these real life American hero kind of figures. Uh, Spielberg is just one of those guys who. Typically, when he makes a movie, it's going to be at least good, <laughs> like high floor. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm a fan of that collaboration as well. Uh, there's a number that I was considering, and partially because I wasn't... Some I had to throw out because I just wasn't, you know, the the biggest fan of everything involved, or that I haven't seen enough. So, in terms of, like, world cinema, I'm really curious to watch more Pedro Almodovar movies. And he's with famously... Collaborated with Penelope Cruz, as well as Antonio Banderas. And uh, they've appeared off and on, sometimes just the individual, sometimes together in his uh, his movies. But I've seen one with each of them. Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which has Banderas. And you and I saw... Why am I forgetting what it's called? <laughs> she just got nominated for Mothers. Oscar. <laughs> Parallel Mothers with Penelope Cruz. And I'm definitely intrigued to see more Elma Dovar. But I also thought about cheating and saying Wes Anderson and everybody who's been in his movies <laughs> because I love Wes Anderson and he loves to bring actors back into the ever-expanding Wes Anderson troupe. So he, he's consistently brought the same actors back, but often it'll be for bit parts or cameos and... You know, I I wanted to get some meteor collaborations, but I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan as well as some of these other pairings that I said. And so love his collaborations with Bill Murray, with Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, with Angelica Houston, some others over the years. Jason Schwartzman, another one who's popped up quite often. So a big fan of Wes Anderson and his rotating cast (laughs) of familiar faces. Anything else, Christian? I know the one that we did mention was Paul. So anything that you considered didn't quite make your list? If I'd had more time, I would have looked more into Spike Lee and Denzel Washington. But then, no, those those are the main ones that were on that were in my head. Absolutely, yeah. Would love to be more familiar with uh, with Spike and Denzel. Of course, Spike Lee has also worked with Samuel L. Jackson a number of times, and he also has utilized a lot of actors. Um, he's used them in um, many appearances over the years. So, definitely would love to be more familiar there. So, a good final shout out. Uh, Because, of course, that is our show. So, as a quick reminder before we get into the outro of today's episode, we will not be in your podcatchers next week. We're going on summer break, as we normally do. Going to get some rest and relaxation from our our (laughs) movie watching and podcast recording. And we'll be catching up on some 2022 movies as we will come back like we always do in August. Firstly, 
with our top five of the year so far. So Christian, are there many movies that you're really especially excited to see as we take some time off this summer? I have a running list. Um, I want to watch Navalny. And I'm wanting to watch Spiderhead. Those are, and, I mean, and also Apollo Ten and a Half. So I have a, I have a list of like six right now. It'll probably grow, but those are, those are three I'll shout out from that list. There you go. I know there are some big movies that I've missed, whether big in the general sense, like in terms of everybody has seen them uh, that I still want to see, like Jackass Forever <laughs> or Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which I don't think will be making my list, but it might be fun to watch. Uh, but definitely some other like. People in who you know, whether it be film critics or just like people who are super into movies and post about them quite regularly, I've talked about like RRR. Have you heard about this? I don't know if it's Triple R or RRR, but this yeah. it's yeah. smash hit out of India, specifically um, that is a Telugu language film. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, so not Bollywood, but this enormous international smash hit that's supposed to be just one of the craziest, most entertaining and fun action movies of recent memory that I've been wanting to see, as well as uh, Men from Alex Garland, which I know got a pretty lukewarm critical reception, including from you, Christian. But uh, I'm still curious to see it. I've, I've tended to like Garland before, so I, I'll still give it a chance. Dope. There you go, folks. So we will be back. Not next week, but let me actually pull up uh, I'm, I'm pull up a calendar here and get that actual date for you. It'll be that first Friday in August, most likely, but tisk tisk. Should have looked at this date in advance. Here we go. August 5th. August 5th. Thanks, Christian. I just pulled it up. Christian's going to edit that out in post. I just know it. We will be back August 5th with our top five movies of 2022 so far. Until then, that is our show. So, of course, thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate the support, listeners. There are a few things that you can do to continue to help support the show as we look to grow. Number one, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you leave a rating and a review. Helps us reach new listeners on those platforms. And growing subscriber growing subscriber counts makes Christian very, very happy. Like he just gets the biggest smile on his face. He, he's so warm and, and, and delighted. So please, Christian needs it. Subscribe. He's trying to rest this summer. We also would appreciate your feedback. So feel free to send us an email at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Our guy, Paul Gonzalez, built his relationship with this show by emailing us and telling us his ideas for blends of the month and uh, movies that we could cover on the show. So we'd honestly love to know what you want us to cover in the back half of the year, whether it be a blend of the month idea or a movie that you're just really excited to see and you want us to cover on the show and we can figure out a blend. Go ahead and let us know at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. And if you want your favorites of the year so far to be featured, send them in. We will discuss them as we discuss our picks for the best of 2022 so far. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter, as well as Christian on Instagram. And both Christian and myself are on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks at home before we are out of their ears for a whole month? Nope. Goodbye. <laughs> Come on, Christian. Be a little sweet with the listeners. You know, we're going to be gone for a while. We got to mind that we love them. <laughs> hey, folks, sincerely, if you're still listening, thank you for the support. We genuinely appreciate it. And until August 5th, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. <laughs>